Today we're going to start our session with a conversation with Steve Eskenazi. He is a very experienced angel investor, and I invited Steve to come and talk about angel investing, his work in angel investing, trends, and so on. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Smara. Do you go by Stephen or Steve? Either one is fine. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, start with a little bit of your background so we can introduce you to our audience. Tell us a bit about what path you have traveled until, you know, where you are today, a little bit. Sure. So um, uh, my career has had sort of uh, three distinct, um, three distinct um, series of, uh, of, 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 jobs uh in the in the 1990s i was wall street's first digital media analyst introducing wall street to companies like america online and uh electronic arts uh then then um for the next 10 years i was a venture capitalist with a firm called walden vc uh where we invested in internet companies and SaaS companies and digital media companies. Our most, uh, uh, our most well-known, uh, investment at the, at the first round level was, uh, in Pandora, the music service. And then, uh, my wife and I found ourselves in an interesting position, uh, in the late, uh, two thousands. And we had three kids in 18 months and I decided to, um, uh, sort of take a different path, and um, I decided to unwind from my venture capital firm and become an angel investor and focus on my home-based startup, uh, The Three Kids. And uh, for the last, I would say, you know, dozen years, I've been spending my time uh, about a third with my family, a third on my own portfolio as an angel investor, and a third in terms of giving back and mentoring and trying to help people in and around the, uh, the community. So that's a mm -hmm. bit of a background and I'm sure we'll get into some more questions. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I uh, know your colleagues at Walden, at least two of them reasonably well, Libu sure. and uh, Sondas. <laughs> so uh, talk about what, uh, you like to invest in uh, what you know did you formulate an investment thesis for your angel investment practice and how did you decide on which direction to go and where where is your sweet spot uh -huh. so I, I invest as a as an angel in two broad um, categories technology and life sciences and some of and there's some investments in the intersection um, my bias is towards uh, companies I can help. I'm rarely a, a passive investor, per se. Um, and my bias is towards working with other groups and, uh, and teams. I've been a member of uh, J Angels, which is an uh, Israeli angel group. I've been a member of Thai. Uh, I'm a member of a group called SV Quad, which is Conval uh, Recchi, who I'm sure you know. Um, yeah. which Best as a group together in um, Series A and C deals, um, but I mean, I like to invest in things I feel passionately about. I'm, I'm not going to invest in the 
um, in the next startup that brings something to your door at 1 a.m. that you've been um, hungering for. Um, I like uh, I like to be a contrarian. I like to invest in new and interesting spaces. But I think what um, what sets investments apart for me different than when I was a venture capitalist, where I had a fiduciary responsibility to to increase the return on investment, is in the people. Um, you know, if there are relationships that can be built, and if I can help with my network uh, with uh, younger entrepreneurs. That's what I really like to do is to help entrepreneurs fulfill their dreams and help them um, not avoid mistakes because we don't everybody makes mistakes, but to catch them early and to figure out uh, a methodology around dealing with the, the issues that um, young companies trying to sort of prove product market fit and then scale once they've proven that product market fit. That's really where I like to <clears throat> like to focus my time. So in terms of writing checks, do you invest pre-product market fit or post-product market fit? Both. Um, you know, and my check sizes range from 25000 to a million dollars. Um, there mm -hmm. is no rhyme or reason. I rarely invest alone. I like to bring in my, uh, my, my friends and other colleagues that I've known throughout the years. And, yeah. um, you know, the more, the more value-add help um, the better. So when you're writing a $25,000 check size, what is the typical round with your friends included? Typically, the 250k, 100k. Where do you start? Well, um, <clears throat> I can give you an example of a, a company that we just invested in called uh, Resonado. Um, that's in that's based in Chicago, and. My group, I think, put in 450, and the the yeah. other lead put in 450, and it was uh, a little over a two million dollar round. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is actually perfect. Let's do some more examples of the kinds of companies you like to. So, Resonato is that a, a IT sector investment or a life sciences sector investment? It's an IT. It's a it's a technology company that's in the that occupies the intersection of technology and consumer electronics. If, if we all recall our first TVs that we, we, we uh, watched, they were, you know, about that thick and now TVs are this thin. They're doing, to, they're doing for the speaker market what was done to the TV market. So they're making flat core speakers and they're making okay. the technology. They don't make the speakers. They don't manufacture the speakers. They license their technology. They're heavily patented, patent protected. And um, they have found traction uh, with uh, sound bars, with, uh, with smart speakers, uh, with um, the recreation space, both RVs and boats. And mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a neat company that um, is making a product that is Faster, better, cheaper, smaller, and uh, more ergonomic, and and better for the environment too. So, uh, mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's a it's an interesting space that um, not a lot of people are focused on. Let's talk about a few more of these examples uh, of where you have put in, and I'd like to actually hear also how they came to you and what stage they came to you, and what is it about them that caught your attention so in this case was it 
Was it the fact that they had technology that was already IP protected, patent protected? I think it was the entrepreneur. I met the entrepreneur either through Thai or through the, the J Angels group, the Israeli group. And I kept in touch mm -hmm. with him for a couple of years and he continued to mm -hmm. reach out for uh, advice. He is a um, South Korean uh, entrepreneur who, uh, whose dad was uh, an executive at Samsung. And uh, mm -hmm. interesting story, the dad sent the family to the U.S. to, to study. And uh, uh, this entrepreneur went to Notre Dame, but had to go back to uh, South Korea to serve in the army. He served at, uh, on, at the demilitarized zone in between North Korea and South Korea, reunited with his dad. And his dad said, I have all these ideas for my time at Samsung. Why don't you take one of these ideas and, and run with it? So <clears throat> it was definitely the fact that I, I like that market. Um, with Lipu, we had invested in Creative Labs way back when, which is a Singapore company. I know we have yeah. Singapore investor, yeah. uh, uh, Singapore entrepreneur on the, on, on the uh on, on the WebEx. And it was just a situation where I really gravitated towards this entrepreneur and tried to <clears throat> try to help him out. And okay. uh, go ahead. So uh, tell, tell us a few more of these case studies, just to kind of get a feel for what kind of things that you like to invest in. And I'm just trying to gauge, um, you know, kind of listen to stories, basically. Sure. <clears throat> So uh, one of my longest investments <clears throat> is in a company called PM Pediatrics, uh, which is an East Coast-based um, company. It's a childhood friend of mine uh, who is solving for the problem that parents of young kids have, which are that kids don't just get sick between nine and five. Um, they offer uh, after-hours care, and they did this They've done this now for 15 years, so they were more on the pioneer side. And uh, they've moved towards um, a telehealth practice, and um, their competition is emergency rooms, which average waiting time is four and a half hours. And they're in yeah. lots of strip malls, and they have um, executed and built a company that's now well over 200 million in revenue. And, uh, and you know, exploring what kind of liquidity options and exit scenarios they might have. So another, mm. another interesting, you know, and that's in the middle of life sciences and technology because now right. Right. Is, part of their, is part of their practice. So we don't do life sciences per se, but this is what you're talking about is the category of digital health is very much within our purview. So, yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> um, I can uh, I can give you another example of an of uh, a deal I just did. Uh, it's a young um, uh, Israeli entrepreneur. In fact, he dropped out of high school to do this. Um, he set up uh, a service on Discord um, as a new sort of uh, as a new music channel. He they were mm -hmm. they were taking. YouTube videos and allowing people to be their own DJs in a, in a house party type setting. He grew it to over 20 million uh, daily active users before Google and uh, Discord shut them down and they've kept their community intact. They have um, now explored um, doing this uh, in a, in a, 100% percent 
legal fashion, and um, they're in that process now. It's called Rhythm.fm. So that's a that's a very early stage, you know, first check. Um, and again, it was uh, it was the <clears throat> strong connection with um, with the entrepreneur that um, and, and my ability to help him. He's he's local here in Silicon Valley. Uh, that um, mm. that got me um, that got me excited. So here's a trend question, Steve. What is your analysis? You have watched the music business for a long time, from Pandora on. How is what is your analysis of the music business? We see music deals here in these roundtables from time to time, and uh, you know, a lot of the industry believes you can't really make money in the music business. You clearly have a different point of view. Can you talk about how you analyze the music business? Yeah, I, I don't look at it that binary. Some people say it's, you know, it's, you can't make any money or you can. I think it's very selectively investable. <clears throat> and that's been my approach. Um, and I've probably raised the bar higher on music deals. Uh, and I was, um, I was a private investor um, in Spotify as well. I've raised the bar on mm -hmm. music deals um, more than I would in, in, in other spaces that are broadly investable. So I would probably agree with the people that say it's really tough, if not close to impossible, to make money in, in, in the music space. Um, this is what a business model. What business model would you invest in? Is it the subscription business model? Um, I think it's a combination. I, I think people don't realize how successful GoFundMe has been. So <clears throat> in the case of, of these services, you don't necessarily have to say you need to pay us X amount. But interestingly enough, some companies have found they've made more money from saying, you know, we provide the service for free, but we're kind of starving students. And if you would consider you know, giving us $10 or $5 or $20 hit the GoFundMe. Um, that's been a very successful way of funding the company and getting it going before you could figure out um, exactly what the precise what is the, would be. But what is the steady state business model? Uh, you know, okay, you start with the GoFundMe campaign, you Kickstarter campaign, but what is the steady state business model people can sustain a company on the basis of? Well, in this case, um, it's a freemium model where if you want to play disc jockey and if, you, if you're in any of these Discord rooms, you'll see it, um, you may be able to um, immediately publish to an NFT. So <clears throat> you bring in other aspects of, um, of, of business models, in this case, NFTs. Um, ultimately, I think there will be a subset that... Um, will want to um, that will want to um, subscribe and then if you have you know in this case they they got off of their own um, without any money they got up to 20 million DAUs a month um, that opens the advertising door as well so it's it's not mm -hmm. a single business model per se um, mm -hmm. Rana, it's a it's it's a couple of different ones and how they sort of fit together and the beauty of the online business is that you can test these out you can do a b testing in different geographies yeah. and different different communities to figure out really what's going to stick 
And uh, talk a little bit about NFT as a business model or apps of, you know, applications of NFT, use cases of NFT. What are you seeing? Has anything stuck with you that is particularly noteworthy? Well, I will say the two most popular, I mean, if there have been trends, broad trends, I think sort of, you know, Web3, crypto, NFT has been one. And then um, I, I would say that um, uh, NIL and um, the influencer economy has been the other. NIL standing for name and image likeness and how do we, how do I monetize it? <clears throat> um, Specifically for NFT, I would say it's still um, in the embryonic stage, trying to find its uh, trying to find its footing. I think we've seen some incredible um, uh, miscalculations in terms of the value. You looked at uh, you know Jack Dorsey's first tweet at what was it four and a half million, and then it was resold for for a couple of hundred dollars. <clears throat> So I still think these are looking for their footing. Um, I do think there are certainly, you know, both niche and broader applications. Um, but I think they're going to have to be proven out over the next year or two, because um, sadly there has been uh, a bunch of, I don't want to say fraud, but um, haven't been the most scrupulous characters. They've been bidding up their own NFTs to create artificial um, pricing. So. Uh, I think the biggest issue for NFT is there really isn't a, the, the, the stability of the pricing model around NFT is not there yet. So right. look for the niche um, environments and, and, and applications where it can start to be proven. Do you, think, um, do you think the art world is going to embrace NFTs? And I'm talking about the physical art world, not just the digital art world. The digital art NFT world, I have some question marks against, but... What about the physical art world? Uh, I think they will. Um, I think they will dip their toe and, and test it out. I think they will. Um, they will look at some hybrid. Um, I, I think they'll look at some some hybrid models, and I think there are ways of combining physical and and digital that are kind of uh, that are kind of interesting. Yeah, um, yeah I think, that's I think that is that is certainly um, that is certainly something that that. Uh, I don't see having the the downsides that uh, some of the other applications we just talked about have. Yeah, I was talking to Eric Benamou two days ago, and he was like, "I'm looking for a good app, a good application for an NFT. I'm really looking for a good use case." I'm like, "Yeah, maybe the art one is a is a decent use case that has more validity than than many of the other, like Jack Dorsey's tweet certainly has no validity in my opinion." All right. Well, um, what about exits? What uh, what all have you seen through your investments? What has been some of your interesting exits, and what have you learned trends-wise from those? Well, I, you know, I think there are <clears throat> I think there are a couple of of you know tried and true sort of commandments. I, I think the best companies um, get bought; they, they're, they're not sold. Um, I think you have to. I think you have to build companies the right way, and you have to scale them the right way. And when I say the right way, I mean that um, throwing money at problems is not 
a solution to the problems. And I think we're now going to go through a tough digestion process for the next year or two, whereby companies just raised money and money and money and money, never solved the problems of institutionalizing knowledge and building processes within the companies yeah. to scale them effectively. And now the, you know, <clears throat> now it's all coming home to roost. And um, it's going to be a very tough um, workout. I think some of the companies that, you know, I've invested in <clears throat> um, that have had, you know, exits have gotten over those things. TransferWise, Alibaba, Spotify, for example, um, certainly Pandora, um, you know, that they, they built companies to be independent. And then if and when somebody else came along, um, they, they looked at those um, opportunistically. Um, I think for the earlier stage market and entrepreneurs, I think, you know, I think setting up milestones for each um, fundraising that you do and then setting them up such that after you've hit those milestones, you can go back to the market and do, quote unquote, a market check, which allows you to either bring more money in or look if there's a partner out there that might be interested um, is much better than sort of, you know, the proverbial, we're, we're building a company to be sold. Uh, I think it's important to identify those milestones uh, that create value. And as I said before, to build in the um, build in the processes and the institutionalized knowledge that will allow you to scale and, um, uh, and then give yourself that uh, those additional options without sort of closing or narrowing um, your, um, your exit. Interesting. So uh, we've done quite a bit of work in these uh, sessions bringing on investors to talk about how they're thinking about exit, especially the early exit category. And then I've brought on people from the corp dev world also to talk about exit from the buy side. And, and I want to underscore a couple of nuggets that uh, you would probably appreciate. Um, example, in the cybersecurity universe, uh, small funds, some of the small funds are starting to think about kind of building to sell, just because it's become so difficult. There's cybersecurity is so over-invested. Invested. There's so many companies, so many investors who've invested in cybersecurity, just getting meetings with the enterprise CISOs and, and CIOs has been really difficult. So they have to go through other people, maybe the managed service providers or, the, or other companies and become their OEM, you know, partner something, somehow or the other to get the seat at the table has been really hard. So, so I think the early stage investors in cybersecurity are starting to think about an alternative of building to sell to a larger company that has that seat at the table. Um, so that's one nugget that I want to kind of share. Um, on the buy side, one of the guidance that the corp dev people are, are providing is also that there is so much going on, they need to know about the existence of a company, right? So even if you don't build to sell, you kind of need to make sure that you're on the radar of the people 
who may be on your exit strategy path. So, so they're, you know, whether it's the, pro the chief product officer or the, the product managers who are in that related product group of a potential buyer or the corp dev people, they kind of somehow there needs to be some PR or something around your product such that they get to know about you. So these are just my two uh, kind of nuances to your comment that companies get bought but not sold. But you do need to create the conditions under which they can be bought. I, I agree. And, and, and cybersecurity is a very interesting um, market because of that. Um, clearly, there's an important delineation between point solutions and end-to-end -end solutions. Point solutions are easy to buy and easy to integrate. And secondly, um, <clears throat> you know, if we look at, if we look at the, the hiring market in general, I've seen more companies uh, miss their hiring targets than miss their revenue targets. So mm -hmm. companies are searching for good people. So the whole yeah, app behind, hire. Absolutely. Right, uh, yeah. right. When you when you say, you know, can we can we sell a company for ten million? I mean, that's really an aqua hire, right? For for Often. the bigger companies, right? Um, you know, mm -hmm. I had invested in in a company called Duo Security that sold to Cisco just for that reason. Company thought they were going to mm -hmm. go public, and then Cisco came up and said, "Hey, this is um, this is a niche area that we really uh, we really like, and as a result, um, we're gonna you know we're gonna take you out now." So yeah, I think that works in the cybersecurity space. Other spaces probably more difficult, but I, I think the the um, the tailwind is really the notion that most of the most big companies can't find enough good people. So if mm -hmm. somebody's got an R and D team or a product team or has institutional knowledge in a space that's new and different, I think yeah. the value is going to be perceived a lot higher. Yeah, very good, Steve. Great conversation. Thank you for coming today. My and uh, sharing your thoughts. Termana, my pleasure. Anytime. Take care. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.